So today, our third mini retreat, we'll be exploring the second factor of awakening. We spent the first two mini retreats exploring mindfulness, the first and overarching factor of awakening. And today, the second factor of awakening will be what we'll focus on. And that is investigation or investigation and discrimination of states, investigation and discrimination of mindful, the objects that we're mindful of. And the underlying question being, what is the active component of mindfulness that is a primary root of the arising of wisdom? What is the active component of mindfulness that is the primary root of the arising of awakening? And the answer to that is investigation. So what is it that enables us to move towards being a Buddha? We're all moving towards being a Buddha. Or as one of my uh, Burmese teachers, uh, Saida Upanditi used to say, what makes one a true heir of the Buddha? So in response uh, to this question, we'll begin with, I'd like to begin with just a brief review of mindfulness. So con considering for a moment, as we discussed in our exploration of mindfulness, have you ever had the experience of getting to know someone and finding that in fact, they're not at all like what your initial preconditioned perceptions and judgments of them were? I think we've all, probably had that experience. Without mindfulness, we're quite often caught unaware. And that, that, that part of the sentence is important, caught unaware in our initial perceptions of and reactions to things. Why? Because we're, we're pretty blindly run by our conditioned habitual ways a fair amount of the time until we're not blindly run by our conditioned, habitual conditioned ways. Without a mindful presence, we could say that our relationship to most all of our experience is like that. Everything we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, everything we think is immediately interpreted back to us in conformity with our habitual thought patterns and our habitual ways of experiencing everything. So what does this mean? It means that we're living at a distance from experience. It means that we're living at a distance from life itself. And it be, can be kind of like a vicious circle that feeds itself, feeding the mental fixations that we're running on habit, habit, our habit running. The grooves of habit with that kind of life etch, edge, or, or etch in deeper and deeper and deeper. And so we're more and more often just running on kind of automatic pilot and not realizing that, that this is what's occurring, not realizing that our life can be very different from this. Mindful presence is a very powerful way of changing our mind very powerful way of changing our heart. Consequently, 
changing the way that we relate to ourselves, the way that we relate to other people, things, situations, as we live our lives in the world. So connecting with an open-hearted interest and focused, clear awareness is what's needed in all instances. And the Buddha said, it is what's needed as a seasoning of salt is needed in all sauces. That was one of his descriptions. This is what begins and what allows the process of release and the transformation of our painful and unskillful habits. So you can certainly see that why the Buddha said that mindfulness is the first and the overarching factor of our practice. The first and overarching factor of awakening. So as a basis for our exploration of investigation today, I'd like to repeat just the short definition of mindfulness that I offered last week uh, in last week's exploration. Mindful awareness is about paying an extraordinary attention, an extraordinary kind of attention, a non-judging, non-manipulative, non-grasping, non-rejecting attention to the present moment's experience. And when this extraordinary attention of mindfulness is coupled with the qualities of a focused attention and an open-hearted, interested, investigative exploration, we're gifted. We're gifted for a moment or maybe gifted for many moments with what sometimes might feel like the magic of moving out of delusion. delusion the magic of moving out of delusion and directly into reality. We're gifted with the opening into some degree of experiencing and knowing the true nature of things. For many of us, for many humans and, and us too, <laughs> we're of that same, we're all human. <laughs> it's really not our usual way to be so present in the moment. And so, what are we doing? We're training the heart, we're training the mind to just simply connect, feel, see, and know what is. What is this? How is it right here? How is it right now? There's a term that's used in Buddhism, a Pali term called ehipasika. And that translates as come and see. Ehipasika, come and see. It's an invitation from the Buddha to come and see. Not to come and believe, but to really come and see for ourselves what's true. To come and see in this way requires a great willingness interest, and courage. And all of this includes a growing faith that blossoms right out of our own experience. A willingness, interest, and courage to look directly, deeply, and honestly 
into the body, the mind, the heart, without relying on what others say is true through what we may have heard or what we've read. To come and see in this way, ehipasika, to come and see in this way, requires that we don't settle into the inertia of our habitual perceptions of things. We don't settle into our habitual relationships to experience and that we don't continue to cling on to an I, me, mine identification with our inner and our outer experience. This interest, willing, willingness and courage are the qualities that keep practice alive from the very, very beginning of practice and then ongoing through all the years of our practice. So I'd like to close this introduction for today's exploration with a poem from Rumi. Uh, it was given to me by a Buddhist nun many years ago and I, I shared it with you towards the end of our first uh, mini retreat a couple of weeks ago. Don't try to be the sun. Be a dust moat, lunar moth. Love the candle. Taste your life. Put your shoes on, upside down. So we'll begin our sitting practice now, sitting comfortably in your seat, your meditation seat, on the floor, on a cushion, in a chair, <clears throat> maybe sitting on a couch, maybe standing. I don't know if any of you need to lie down to practice. That might be so. It's okay. So settling in. Settling into your body. Your body settling into the seat. Closing your eyes. Lightly, gently. Allowing the body, heart, and mind to relax. mindful attention, connecting with the whole body sense of sitting. Very simple, no commentary needed. Sensing, feeling, the posture, the whole body sitting.
and with a willingness and interest. The active aspect of mindfulness being investigation. Noticing. A sense of ease in the body or a sense of discomfort, of dis-ease. Noticing if there are areas in the body that are contracted, pressure, tightness. No commentary needed. Noticing how those areas soften or get tighter, maybe move or change in some way. Disappear. Mindful attention to the breath, wherever it's most clearly and directly experienced sensorially in your body. Letting the breath, at least for the next bit of time, be your guide as we move into an open-hearted, open-minded investigation. How is the breath? An in-breath. may be experienced on the edges of the nostrils or between the nose and the upper lip, that space of skin, or maybe experiencing the breath as movement in the abdominal area, in the belly. Bringing an interest, a willing interest into the intimate connection with the experience of breath, coming close. How is it? Not how it should be or how you want it to be. How is it? Just simply noticing without commenting. And notice how it changes. This investigative, mindful investigative relationship 
with the experience of breathing as it happens on its own. Notice the, maybe you're trying to control the breath, make it a certain way. Notice that without commentary. Notice it. Let it be. Receiving the breath, just as it is. How is it? Not trying to get something, not trying to get to a certain place or a certain type of perception, a very receptive relationship with the sensorial experience of breathing. Investigation is an art in noticing and sensing where the clearest connection can be. Like focusing a camera or a microscope. Each of these wonderful metaphors for the process of investigation. When you find yourself lost in thought or, or maybe struggling with what's happening, simply mindfully noticing this, 
And then you can play with adjusting the focus of your attention. Struggling, what is that experience, bodily, mentally? Lost in thought or spacing out, what is that experience, mentally? physically. You might open up the senses and let go of any agendas that you may have decided or developed around this second factor of awakening, investigating. Let go of your agenda. And just see if you can receptively recognize, sense and feel into what currents, physical or mental currents are pulling or driving you at the moment. bodily currents, mental currents, emotional currents. Not getting lost in the stories. Letting go of the story and opening up to what's underneath. what's underneath a memory, a plan, maybe mental states of fear or anticipation or joy. What does that feel like? How is that sensed in the body, in the mind? Perhaps you're trying too hard to connect with some object. What does trying too hard feel like? 
Maybe there's actually a more subtle mood or internal weather system going on to be mindful of, to receive, perceive, and know. At times, investigating might mean stepping back, opening the lens, allowing the attention to rest in the recognition of why it might just simply be some vague discomfort, some vague confusion, or a sense of ease, a sense of calm. Receptivity, willingness, interest, courage to just be with what is. Not looking in order to get rid of something or to get something. Trust what needs to be connected to, sensed, seen, known, learned. and understood. All will very naturally arise within the open-hearted, open-minded exploration of mindful investigation.
relaxed, receptive. interest, courage, mindful, investigative presence right here. Right now, body, heart, mind, with things just as they are.
May all of the wholesome energies and the fruits that manifest through our practice serve with immeasurable impartiality, without bias, without prejudice, towards the welfare, the happiness, and the awakening of all beings everywhere. And so now it's uh, time for walking meditation, 10 minutes, or stretching, mindful stretching. You can stretch in your chair. You can stand up, you can move around, move your body. And stay mindful and allow the, this quality, this capacity of investigation to be part of your movement practice. Keep it going. Connecting directly and intimately with the sensorial experiences of walking, moving, stretching, and noticing the mental content or relationship no need to comment, no need to analyze. Simple, mindful, investigative presence. And in 10 minutes, we'll reconnect and I'll offer some Dhamma reflection.
Marcia, do you want to try that original sound thing with the bell? Can't hear you. I did. I did play the bell and left it. I mean, I didn't. You said. I mean, do you see that original sound thing up in your corner? Yes. Does it say off or on? Just a minute. says off. Okay, if you click it on, the bell will sound better. Oh, I thought I did that. Okay. Yeah, just. I'll leave it off for now and I'll click it on at the end of the talk. No problem. I thought you were going to ring it right now. No. Okay. Not just yet. Sorry. In a minute. I will. Yes, I will ring it in a minute to get people back. So offering a Dhamma reflection. I think we're all back now. Settling into your seat, settling into ear doors open.
receiving sound. Investigation. Investigation is one, one of the energizing awakening factors. It has the potential to dispel darkness, the darkness of not seeing, the darkness of ignoring how it is. Investigation is what leads to the elimination of bewilderment, of confusion, of not seeing, not knowing, the not knowing of delusion, the not knowing of ignorance, of ignoring. Investigation has the potential to penetrate and to illumine things. With this bright light of investigation and clear discernment, what is already and has always been present is then clearly seen, is known, and confusion is dispelled. Our practice in, in, in our practice, investigation means that we experience directly, meaning without mediation, without concept, we experience directly. So for example, and please take note that this can be a metaphor for any physical or any mental phenomena. The rising and falling movement of a breath is known. Maybe you see it and know it at the level of just simply knowing in and simply knowing out. This is still based in the world of concept. So investigation without putting on the glasses, so to say. Then you put on the metaphorical glasses, connecting simply and directly with the actual, the actual rising and falling movement of a breath in the belly, or the actual experience of the touch sensations around the edges of the nostrils or in the space between the nostrils and the upper lip. So beginning now to move from conceptualizing the breath to direct experience of the breath. Maybe beginning to feel, see, sense, and no pressure. Extension, roughness, smoothness, lightness. With any of these sensation experiences being felt and known as occurring maybe for a short time or maybe for a longer time. And then you look through the microscope with the lowest power lens. The whole rising movement or the whole 
in-breath experience at the nostrils is sensed, felt, and known from its beginning all the way to its end. You feel and know, for instance, the whole falling movement or the whole sensorial experience of an outbreath from its beginning all the way to its end. And maybe, much to your surprise, you find that each rising and falling, each in and out, isn't necessarily this smooth, ongoing experience that you've been used to. Even though it might be quite subtle, maybe you begin to feel it and know it very clearly as happening in tiny segmented sensations rather than a smooth flow. And now as you come even closer, you're even more intimate with the experience of breathing, the experience of the rising and falling or the in and out. You begin to see it as just simply happening on its own without you controlling it. The heart, mind, and body are relaxed and interested in what's occurring, not thinking about it, just simply present, receptive, and wholly interested, deeply interested. And as you relax even more, with interest growing even brighter, the microscope's lens powers up. The idea or the concept of breath falls away. The heart mind is settled and collected. Potential distractions have little or maybe no attraction. The subtle sensations at or just below the nostrils or the rising and falling movement in the belly is felt and known. With maybe the most predominant experience at this point being a particular subtle flavor of light vibration with each rising and falling, with each in and out experience. Who's breathing? Who's breathing? And on it goes. Breath isn't what you thought it was, at least for the moments that you've stopped thinking about it and are just simply directly and mindfully present with it, clearly discerning the experience with a deep and complete trust in those moments. A trust that this is just enough. Nothing else needs to be done. The mind, heart is open, receptive, spacious, and at ease in this direct and very simple connection to experience. As investigation and clear discernment continues to develop and the way of things, the way of things continues to reveal itself. This is our practice. This is our training.
in relationship to this factor of investigation and clear discernment, I'd like to spend a bit of time now exploring our practice life and our life as a whole as our practice. As a, and our life as a whole, we could say as a creative process with mindfulness and focused attention and particularly investigation being the roots from which stem these beautiful blossoms of wisdom and the creative energy of one's life that's freed up through the fruits of our practice. Practice is actually quite akin to the creative process. And as we know, practice is a vehicle for peeling away the layers of our habitual conditioned perceptions and reactions. It's a vehicle that has great potential for revealing the interdependent and selfless nature of all physical and mental phenomena. So for instance, whether it be the immediacy and spontaneity of a moment-to-moment -moment visceral or mental connection and response in relationship to the body moving, or via seeing what's seen, heard, smelled, tasted, touched without, without interposing the self. Me, mine, I. In other words, connecting things with things directly. With our life as our practice. It's in a sense about forgetting what we've previously learned. And what does this mean, forgetting what we've previously learned? It means forgetting what we think we know about the subject, which is actually a necessary step in seeing and knowing body-mind phenomena, body-heart-mind phenomena more directly and clearly and then responding appropriately. This so-called forgetting, and it's probably not the way most of you think of the word forgetting, but this so-called forgetting, it stops the mind from knowing in its habitual conditioned ways. And so at this point, one is confronted with the object itself and one's usual way of knowing is arrested. The heart, the mind is open, receptive, appreciative, able to connect and respond to the inner experience, be it a mental or physical experience, connecting to the tone, the shape, the texture, etc., And also very much connecting to its changing nature, the changing nature of our experience and connecting with a genuine quality of confidence, and open-hearted authority. 
This is our possibility. This is our practice. So what is it that keeps this open-minded, open-hearted being in the presence from happening? One person's response to this question was the fear of losing control. The fear of losing control. I think that many, I think it's fair to say that many people experience not knowing as feeling dumb. But I have to say that some of the most extraordinary experiences that I've had in which truth was revealed to me have all had the quality of what we could call bearing witness, of just simply being there, of just simply being here with humility, and a tremendous and yet relaxed interest, a very open-hearted, connected, mindful, and discerning attention. And no need to make meaning. No need to make meaning. In our practice and in our life as our practice, until we can suspend the need for making meaning all the time. We cannot experience direct revelation. We cannot experience insight. We're not able to experience wisdom. And I well know that it's not so easy to be so unarmed meaning to be without our habitual ways and our self-centered identification. Fear can sometimes leap up in us. And so we train the heart, we train the mind slowly and with great care to see very clearly and to let go. The poet Rilke exhorts us to return to things themselves. But the way to them can be difficult as we're faced with our self, our seemingly set and solid self. It seems that we're overtrained regarding ourselves. What does that mean? We're overtrained regarding ourselves. We're usually the center of our attention. It's usually all about me. Right? <laughs> Consequently, it's very difficult to come and see as the Buddha invites us, ehipasika, to return to things themselves, beyond or underneath or without this notion of a self. Engaging in our practice with a joyful interest and open-hearted mindfulness is the way towards 
freeing up honesty, authenticity, and energy, which creates the conditions that allow direct revelation, allow insight, allow wisdom to arise. I've learned a lot from children in this arena. In my early 30s, I taught art as an, uh, at an alternative school for quite a number of years. The five to eight-year-olds just loved to paint. And sometimes I would ask them to paint in relationship to a particular theme, but often it was just free expression painting. And one morning as I was walking around and looking and commenting on paintings on, in process and on those paintings that were already finished, one little boy came up to me and said, you always like our paintings. How come? Well, this little boy noticed something and he asked the right question. How come? Children do have sometimes have the way of saying things that kind of stop us in our tracks. Yes, I do, I thought. How come? Well, this was a long time ago, but I, and I don't remember exactly what I said to him, but something about honesty and expressing from the inside and how could I not feel anything but appreciation? I could ask questions and occasionally make some suggestions, but there wasn't anything to dislike or feel critical about because what each person painted was their honest expression at that moment. Well, this little boy seemed to understand and he, he was standing right in front of me and he shook his head up and down and he kind of beamed at me. So making a bit of a stretch <laughs> and regarding this in relationship to our practice, as adults, can we be so unarmed in relationship to occurs to what occurs within us with the attitude that this is what's happening right here, right now? while at the same time with a very honest interest, being mindful and seeing clearly with an open-hearted receptivity to the right answers that will inevitably show up to our perennial questions regarding the way towards being really, truly happy and at ease in this life. Can we be so unarmed? One of the creative endeavors that's been part of my life off and on over the years since I was in my early 20s is making portrait sculpture with a particular person being the live model for each piece of work. This work has been a very deep and powerful direct practice in and of itself, as well as a metaphor of insight practice for me particularly in relationship to the cultivation of mindfulness, investigation, and discernment, 
effort, joy, tranquility, concentration, and wisdom. The seven factors of awakening, the seven factors of enlightenment. So I'd like to share just a little bit of this as I think it may be a useful illustration in, in the context of our discussion today. In order to create a, a likeness of a person in clay, a tremendous depth of concentration and mindful investigation has to take place. A head, its shape, the neck and shoulders, the facial features. How do we see it as a whole and then know it both in its wholeness and its particulars? so that the seeing and knowing can be transferred through the eyes, mind, heart, and body, out through the hands and out through the fingers into the clay. Well, a daunting and actually impossible task if one doesn't begin to see what one is looking at simply as hundreds, maybe thousands of relationships that actually change with each angle of seeing. And so the subject's head and face begins to break down, to break down into a series of relational forms, forms that exist only in relationship to each other. There's no head, no face, no person as we ordinarily know it. There's just a series of relationships being known. And it's a very intimate process, much more so than if I just keep looking at the whole form. The completely unique characteristics of the face in front of me become very clearly and deeply known, but not as any fixed or separate entity. And the universals of all human faces become known quite intimately. At the same time, the concepts of solidity, fixedness, separateness, lose their habitual potency and actually quite thoroughly fall away in moments. What is a nose, this eye, this chin, any nose, any eye, any chin, seeing and knowing through the microscope of an open-hearted and deeply connected mindful investigation from revolving angles moment by moment by moment, seeing and knowing the space between the inside corner of an eye in relationship to the downward slope of the eye's lower edge and the corner of the skin around the eye. In relationship to the bulging curvature of the eyeball as it rounds out to touch the outer edge and the corner of the skin around the eye and on and on and on. With all of this seeing and knowing coming out of my fingers and forming the clay little by little, 
and as though magically, a face emerges out of the clay. A face that in fact bears the likeness and projects some of the quality of the liveliness of this human being sitting in front of me. It's, it's not really so easy to render this creative process in words. In fact, it's kind of difficult. So I hope that it's been at least somewhat communicated and helpful for you. During one particular time period when I was quite deeply immersed in portrait sculpture work, I went to see a movie at the theater. And I was quite struck that evening by all the faces of all of the people in the lobby of the theater, each one having all of the same equipment, if you will, meaning eyes, nose, ears, mouth, cheeks, chins, foreheads. And yet each person's face was being, was, each person's face was totally, totally unique just based in the tiny nuances of how, how all of the parts were interrelated. My awareness that evening, jumping back and forth, back and forth, seeing the diversity in the unity or in the one, and the unification or the one in the diversity. That evening, they weren't separate. In the Avatamsaka Sutra, the Flower Ornament Sutra, which is revered as a treasure of sensual imagery, imagery and considered the highest teaching of the Buddha in Chinese Mahayana Buddhism, there's a short section in that sutta, the Avatamsaka Sutra, the Flower Ornament Sutra, that elaborates on my very brief, small experience that evening. And the sutra says, the Bodhisattva sees the interdependent nature of all things, sees in one Dharma all Dharmas, sees in all Dharmas the one Dharma, sees the multiplicity in the one and the one in the multiplicity, sees the one in the immeasurable and the immeasurable in the one, the immeasurable meaning the indescribable whole of life as it unfolds. And the sutra goes on, birth and existence of all dharmas is of a changing nature and thus unreal and cannot touch the enlightened ones. The nature of things quite naturally reveals itself. It's not hidden. As we enter into the mystery through the intimacy, the great intimacy of our practice, rather than staying at a distance, rather than staying separate from it, the nature of things quite naturally reveals itself. In very precise and sometimes minute ways, or at times through a more spacious 
less precise mode of mindfulness and investigation, we come to know the nature of things, anything, all things, ordinary things. For a moment, we touch into the absolute truth of the relative world, and it makes a difference on how we live our life. Mindfulness investigation and discernment are our guides through what at times might feel like an impenetrable forest of experience. And as each of you well know, life can be quite challenging and quite difficult at times. Practice can be quite challenging and quite difficult at times. Not new news to any of you. And along the way, we find that it takes a very deep willingness, and as I said earlier, a certain kind of courage to traverse this path of awakening. I think that at times many of us view experiences and view our life as a string of blessings or maybe a string of curses. Through our practice, through our life as our practice, we learn not to get caught up in the attachment to blessings and not get caught up into the aversion to curses. With mindful presence, investigation and clear discernment, as the ground of our practice. We learn to view and to relate to life as a continual opportunity to deepen our practice and to deepen our understanding. Sometimes even in the most difficult circumstances, another opportunity. Sometimes it's, oh no, another opportunity. <laughs> with all of this, all of it, affording us the amazing opportunity of awakening. And I think if we're really, truly candid, we may occasionally feel like a spiritual warrior in the process. So what is a curse? What is a blessing? As our practice takes deeper and deeper root, its blessings begin to permeate all corners of our life. Mindfulness and investigation of states grounded in interest and an open-hearted non-judgmental receptivity is our guide through what at times may feel like an impenetrable forest of experience. We can't depend we can't depend on something outside of our own, expect or depend on something outside of our own mind, our own heart, or we can't depend or expect someone else to do it for us. The invitation is a hipasika, as I've already said, a hipasika, come and see. When we connect and clearly see, the next step is right in front of us, just one step at a time. 
some years ago, at this time of year, I was uh, went for a day-long hike with a friend uh, up in the mountains here in the Taski Valley. And my hiking buddy is a longtime Dhamma practitioner, and we like to hike in silence. And usually we walk alone, though not very far along the trail uh, from each other. And often we only speak together during our rest breaks and our lunch, our lunchtime. Hiking like this uh, for me and for my friend are some of our most treasured non-retreat practice times. There's a very deep and connected relationship through all of the sense doors to the surrounding world, to our bodily sensations in relationship to our movement and to the feelings and all the various states of mind and heart that come and go as we take our time making our way up the trail. And then, of course, back down the trail. So during this particular hike, as we were wending our way up through this uh, particular mountain, Rocky Mountain landscape, two young people came up behind us and they were moving really fast. They were almost running up the mountain. And they each had a, a small yellow plastic object in their hand, which they were quite intently holding up and out in front of them. Well, we exchanged cursory hellos, and I asked them what the yellow plastic object was. And they said, it's a GPS, as if I would know what that was. They were in such a hurry that there was no opportunity to ask, what is a GPS? Now, this was quite some years ago. It was before GPS uh, became so widely used, and I finally learned what it was. <laughs> so my friend that I was hiking with knew a little bit about this, and she said that the GPS is an instrument that tells you where you are. Well, as soon as she said this, we both looked at each other with a kind of amazement, and we started to laugh. And we laughed and laughed and laughed for quite a while. The experience somehow tickling the funny bone of each of us. That particular day where my friend and I were was being connected with and known over and over and over again in so many ways. And on so many levels, as we were slowly making our way up the mountain, the intermediary of a global positioning system seemed so silly at that point. And in that setting, in a poem by David Wagner called Lost, stand still. The trees ahead and the bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here. And you must treat it as a powerful stranger, must ask permission to know it and be known. The forest breathes, listen, it answers. I have made this place around you. If you leave it, you may come back again saying here. No two trees are the same to Raven. No two branches are the same to Wren. If what a tree, a bush does is lost on you. 
you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. So again, Ehipasika, come and see. Come and see for yourself. The Buddha, with his great clarity and compassion, spoke about what he called the nutriment for the arising development and fulfillment and perfection of the factor of investigation of states. He said that we must give a wise and careful attention to both beneficial and unbeneficial states. Beneficial states such as loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity, as well as to the so-called hindrances, sleepiness, restlessness, the wanting mind, the aversive mind, the doubting mind. He also said, it's essential that we give this wise and careful attention to states of suffering and also to the cause of suffering itself and to the end of suffering. And again and again, the Buddha directs us towards seeing and knowing the particular individual characteristics of beneficial or wholesome states as well as seeing and knowing the individual characteristics of unwholesome, unbeneficial states. He also directs us towards seeing and knowing the three universal characteristics of all states of body, mind, and heart. The impermanence, the essential unsatisfactoriness, and the selfless, empty nature of all mental and bodily experiences. All of this, the Buddha tells us, is the primary nutriment for the arising development, fulfillment, and perfection of the enlightenment factor of investigation. Investigation, clear discernment, is primarily what counters Delusion is primarily what counters ignorance. We're also told to ask appropriate questions and that it's helpful to reflect on the very real possibility of deep understanding, of deep insight. We're encouraged to associate with people who have understanding and it's suggested by the Buddha that we don't spend too much time with people who don't have understanding. The Buddha spoke in a very beautiful way about internal, the internal purification of the mind and the heart as being, and these are his words, like the light of a lamp's flame that arises with a clean lamp bowl, wick, and oil as its support and that bodily and mental formations become evident and clear to one who tries to comprehend them with a purified base, meaning a mind, a heart that's cleansed through the ethical behavior of sila, and the purification of the 
heart and mind that the development of concentration facilitates. Investigation and clear discrimination of bodily and mental states is a requisite for awakening, a requisite for the arising of wisdom. And so in this light, the enlightenment factor, the awakening factor of investigation is spoken about as the wisdom factor. The difference between the person who is, who the person with a mind unconsciously steeped in me, mine, and I, and the one who lives, sees, and knows through a mind steeped in mindful awareness and investigation of states is that within the narrowness of a mind that's steeped in me, mine, and I, there's a very strong and sticky identification with all of the hopes and all of the fears that arise which is a very, very painful place to live one's life from. When the mind, the heart is steeped in the factors of mindfulness and investigation, one isn't very often caught or thrown off, not very often ruffled or confused by inner and outer events. We see what is, we know it, beyond the seeming appearances. We aren't caught nearly as often by the hopes and the fears in relationship to the moment's experiences. They come and we let them go as they naturally do anyway. Our practice affords us the great potential of not clinging and not being identified with and attached to experience all of the time. What is, is just what is, moment to moment to moment, more and more often. And as I'm sure you know, at least to some degree, it's impossible to think our way think our way out of tension. It's impossible to think our way out of stress. It's impossible to think our way out of confusion. It's impossible to think our way out of suffering. And it's impossible to think our way into really, truly letting go. We can't think our way to liberation. The great Indian teacher Nisargadatta Maharaj tells us the mind, the thinking mind is interested in what happens while awareness, meaning a mindful and discerning presence is interested in the mind, the heart. And he goes on to say, the child is after the toy but the mother watches the child, not the toy.
Awakening is beyond or beneath the intellect. It's beyond or beneath concept. So how can we possibly use concept to get us there? When insight is born, when understanding is born, it's deep and integrated and simple. It's cellular, as someone once described their experience to me. With investigation, we move out of the dark and come into the light, the light of wisdom. In reference to his own awakening, the Buddha said, the eye was born, the eye is born, knowledge was born, wisdom was born, understanding was born, light was born. As awakening beings, we're moving towards our inheritance from the Buddha by simply becoming a real human being, a real human being. A description my Burmese teacher Sayada Upandita used for one who is awake, a real human being. And this is the greatest gift that we can offer to this world. So let's just sit silently together for a few minutes. And thank you for listening to the Dhamma. And thank you for your practice. So we'll take just a few minutes now to stretch. You've been sitting sitting quietly, 
hearing for a while. So stretch your body, stretch your arms, your back, your neck, your head. Stand up, sit down, turn around. As I like to say, sometimes opening your mouth really wide. Ah. Stretching your face. Ah. Maybe making a sound. Ah. It helps. <laughs> So back for some Dhamma discussion. <clears throat> time for maybe questions, time for sharing <clears throat> some of your experience, which I very likely will reflect on, hopefully in a helpful way. Um, two things we're, uh, I want to mention. One is uh, first that uh, there are approximately 30 other people or 29 other people today besides yourself who may want to speak. So please keep that in mind when you decide to speak. If you are inclining towards having a longer Dhamma discussion with me, I would suggest that you consider the possibility of making an, an appointment with me for a practice meeting, one-on-one -on -one practice meeting, Zoom practice meeting. I'm happy to do that if you are inclining towards having a longer a Dhamma meeting with me. But remember again, repeating myself, but there are uh, 29 other people who might like to speak 
And we'd like to give them, give everybody the option, the opportunity to say something, whoever would like to. The other uh, reminder this morning is, uh, or new thing actually, Chris and I have a new system with our Dhamma discussion. She will keep track of who raises their Zoom hand. Now the Zoom hand is a little icon that you can uh, connect to on the bottom of your screen, I think it is. Chris, where is it? It's in reactions for most people. The reactions, yes. You can raise your little Zoom hand on the screen and she will keep track of them in order as best she can. And she will call on you to speak. Who's next, who's next, who's next. I can't do that at the same time I'm responding to you and watch, trying to watch the screen for who's next. And I didn't even know last week what that Zoom hand was when it appeared. I had no idea what that was on the screen and somebody's little picture square. So Chris will keep track of that for us. And hopefully it will facilitate a smoother uh, um, and a little bit more ease and order for us with, uh, with our Dhamma discussion. I'll also watch for raised real hands if you can't find the Zoom hands. So. Okay, thanks, Chris. Thank you. So um, again, as I, I often say, I've said it two weeks in a row, this is the third week. It usually takes some relatively courageous person to speak first. Uh, and again, remembering again, I'm saying this for the third time, there are quite a few other people in our beautiful Sangha here who, um, who might like to speak. So do keep that in mind. Who would like to either ask a question or share something from your practice this past week? or something from uh, our practice uh, sitting today, or some question about your practice. We're not having a philosophical uh, uh, dialogue here. Uh, let's keep it related to practice and to the Dhamma talk uh, kind of uh, orientation. So it's an open, whatever it is, open screen. Olivia? Olivia, yes. Thank you, Marcia, for the for the Dhamma talk. I my question. I really enjoyed uh, a sentence you mentioned, which was that there was no need to make meaning yeah. of things as we did in the past, which simply means <laughs> we really shouldn't be fabricating as much, and also that our intentions that lead to fabrications have limitations. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's really a, a refresher for me. I need to keep that in mind because I do tend to churn. <laughs> but but I also have a question. Uh, so that was a statement really. Yes, thank you for first, mm -hmm. You're welcome. In the first uh, talk you gave us, you mentioned that two ways of working with the factors for enlightenment was to uh, be aware of the direct experience we get from working with it, and also the fact that there's a certain amount of power and healing that comes from it. And you then mentioned um, the fact that there are often things that are either unfabricated or unprompted 
that come into play. This to me seems to be a bit elusive. And I was wondering if you'd be able to point out in an example, what these unfabricated and unprompted factors might be. Thank uh -huh. you. Okay, I didn't say that in this particular Dhamma talk. This was... Uh, no, I've been holding ago. this for some time because yeah. that was just an introduction. So yeah. I, just, I just wanted it to play yeah. out in my okay. mind before I asked the question. Yes. I mean, unfabricated and unprompted um, overall... I'm going to make this pretty general in a certain way. Unfabricated and unprompted experience overall is, is what we are connecting to. We don't prompt our breathing. We don't prompt or fabricate the breath to happen. We might try to sometimes, but, but it happens. We may... Uh, 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 fabricate a lot of stories that come up, or we may in relationship to memories or plans, just using those, those definitions of the kinds of thoughts that arise, um, we may fabricate more and more and more uh, in relationship to memories or plans. Um, we may prompt memories and plans. We may fabricate all kinds of reactions, judgments, uh, uh, imaginary uh, uh, possibilities in relationship to sensations that occur in the body. But the sensations that occur in the body just occur. They're unfabricated, they're unprompted. The root of our practice, the base of our practice, the base of, of what we give a mindful attention to, and now we've added the factor of investigation in more, uh, more deeply this week. We did talk about it a little bit last week as well, but not as, uh, as deeply as we have this week, um, is unprompted experience, unfabricated experience, and recognizing when we're fabricating, when we are uh, going on and on about something, fabricating more and more and more about something, recognizing it, recognizing what that is. Some people, what is fabricating? It looks like somebody said, what, what does that mean fabricating? What does it mean? Making something up, that's what it means. Unfabricated is not making it up, it's what is, what is directly occurring, body, mind, heart. That's what we're learning to connect to in as pure and as clear a way as we can. And it's a training of the heart, it's a training of the mind. We have a lot of tendencies as humans <laughs> to fabricate a lot to make stuff up and to, and to uh, depending on our training, but we have in our culture quite analytical. So we might analyze things to death, so to say. <laughs> That's the way I think of it sometimes. Um, 
without analyzing, but just meeting, meeting, like meeting our experience. Experience, meeting it, just as it is. It takes a whole lot of training to do that, a whole lot of practice to do that without trying to make it something. This making meaning is a, a human predicament, if you will, <laughs> kind of a human predicament. Uh, meaning is, occurs, <laughs> let's put it that way. Unfabricated meaning is from a Buddhist perspective or from the perspective that we're looking at our practice means a Buddhist uh, means insight, means understanding, intuitive insight. That's the most, the most uh, basic and, and uh, illuminating and life-changing meaning that we can connect to, but we can't make it up. We can't fabricate it. So that's as much as I'm going to say. I hope that helps, makes a little more clarity for you. It does. It gives me enough to work with. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Olivia. Nobody else. Wow. We still have lots of time. Edith. Edith. All right, Edith. Where are you? I'm finding you. Um, yeah, a message came in at the same time and my screen disappeared, but I'm here now. There you are. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I was I, I was thinking when you talked about um, the sculpturing that you do. Yes. Kind of in relation to what you just said, uh, that um, the, the seeing that you do is a kind of openness and letting what you see come in rather than keeping it out there and analyzing each little piece that that there's a, a otherwise you don't get the spirit of what you're doing but you do it's almost like imposing or just letting it be distant and um not the you know, not not the wholeness of, of what you're looking at of the person that of the face that you're doing well that let me just stop you for one second it's not distant yeah. No, I'm, I know. I said if, if it it could be if you didn't allow that to to come in, yeah, yeah. that's yeah, that's it. It's extremely <laughs> intimate. It's extremely close. It's yes. immersion. It's a kind of immersion. Yes, with a, a tremendous interest. Yes, uh, I just to give you a, a funny example. The last portrait I did was in a class I took last year at the university here in Taos, a sculpture class. And the last uh, piece of sculpture we were asked to do was a portrait and we had a model in the, in the, in the studio. Um, I had not done piece of uh, portrait sculpture for many years. And I was curious to see if I still uh, was able to do it. Um, the man who was modeling, I, I did it and it all flew, it all just rushed back into me. I, it all was as though I hadn't been away from it for more than a, a few minutes even. 
And I, I asked the man, just this is because the intimacy of it. I asked the man if I could come really close to his face, his head, his face. And if I could even not touch him with my fingers, but touch him with one of my tools to, to measure something. Well, he, no one had ever asked that. He'd modeled before, but no one had ever asked that. And he did not want me to do it. He would not allow me to get that close. And I thought that was so interesting because I wasn't threatening him, but he felt threatened. That intimacy is not so usual, that kind of intimacy. And in fact, I just remembered again, many years ago when I did a portrait of my mother, it was just she and I, and you know, we've been intimate for forever. She's not alive anymore. But at one point she said, Marcia, how come you're looking at me like that? Why are you looking at me like that? It bothered her, it scared her a little bit. And I explained why I was looking at her like that and then she relaxed. But it, she, uh, it seemed as though she'd never been looked at like that before and it was uncomfortable. She was uncomfortable until, until I explained it. So it's very intimate, yes, very close. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's a great practice, really good practice. Thank you, Edith, for your observation, yes. Jeremy. Yes, hi, Jeremy. You're on mute, there you are. Hi, yeah. I was thinking about what you were just saying about um, both getting close to the model and in our own practice, getting close to experience to ourselves. <laughs> to ourselves, yeah. And it's not, I don't have a question, I just have a comment, which is, um, I feel like, and you, you alluded to this, that to be able to get close to ourselves and to just be with experience is itself a really significant like developmental milestone, I think, which reminded me of what you mentioned in the Dhamma talk about how we need like the support, the base of sila, just like you have that clean, you know, that clean lamp that the Buddha was talking about. Mm -hmm. And I guess what I was reflecting on is how um, sometimes I feel like, especially in our culture, that capacity for closeness with experience is, um, uh, not very common because we don't live in a culture that is conducive to ethical living. I know that for a very long time in my life, I lived unethically and unkindly, especially toward myself. Mm -hmm. And there just wasn't that ability to, to get close to my experience. And I would go to Dharma talks and teachers would talk about, you know, being with experience and, and, and I was always like, but how, how do I do that? <laughs> you know, um, eventually I, I figured it out. I had to, you know, behave better, but um, it took a while to get there. Yes. That's a, I mean, I think all of us in this culture to varying degrees it's not that easy to get that intimate with ourselves 
honestly, to be absolutely flat out honest about it. We practice and we, and our practice is what affords the purification of the heart mind, which then in turn is one aspect of what allows us to get that close to our own experience without changing it, without making it up, without fabricating something, without uh, it, uh, running away from it, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, it's not easy, not easy. That's why we practice. I mean, that's why it's called practice. One of the reasons it's called practice, we could say. Thank you, Jeremy, yes. John. John, where are you? There you are. Hi, John. Uh, you know, as in many years of psychotherapy, I've, I've noticed that people tend to look for answers and solutions outside of themselves. Yeah. And, and it's typically uncomfortable to sit with what's inside. Mm -hmm. And I guess I really appreciated what you did with that little boy in the art class as you gave him permission to be with what was inside of him and to express it in his art uh, without judgment or um, criticism. And I think it's unfortunate in our culture in many ways is that we grade children in art classes. Oh, isn't that just ridiculous? Yeah, you know, it's, it's just awful. You know, it sets up that success and failure thing and judgment and criticism thing and doesn't permit what you gave that little boy is that piece of intimacy with himself and the expression of that in his art. That touched me. Mm -hmm. Thank you, John. And I wish we would do more of that with children. Oh, yes. And with adults. Yeah. My job as a Dhamma teacher is to be able to be that present, open-hearted presence with students. That's my practice, really. That's Thank you. My Jackie, you're muted. You're muted, Jackie. She doesn't know how to unmute herself. She's working on it. <laughs> Why don't we, maybe we can go on to Alyssa while you work on it. Good idea, thank you. Hi, thank you, can you hear me? We can, yes. Thank you, thank you so much Marcia for the Dhamma talk and the guided meditation. There is a period in the guided meditation um, it may have lasted about seven seconds or 10 seconds mm -hmm. where I was in touch with feeling fear mm -hmm. as contraction in my throat and in my chest. And then I felt a wave of anxiety and worry mm -hmm. as, as pressure in my head and more contraction. And then I felt a wave of what felt like a wave of deep appreciation for myself, for just being with my experience, 
Oh, I love that. That's wonderful. And then I felt an opening. It's, it's, it's as if um, all of that fear and, and worry about things that had been on my mind were in the upper half of my body. But as soon as I felt that wave of deep appreciation and love for myself, it kind of opened up the lower half of my body and I felt more connected uh -huh. to the lower half. And then I felt this deep a deeper sense of peace and spaciousness. And then I, I saw this wave, I, I got an image of, of a lake or an ocean body of water where the, where the currents on top or, you know, moving, but deep, you know, deeper um, at the bottom of the body of water, there was, a, you know, more peace. And then I had this, this, this kind of realization um, that I've had before, but it, it felt more embodied this time that, and it, it kind of relates to what, what Jeremy was saying earlier that, oh, I, I it, so in that span of seven seconds, I also started to, uh, tear up. I could feel the tears starting to form behind my eyes and it, it, it wasn't a sadness. It was, it was a feeling of awe about being able to be so intimate with my experience. And then I had this awareness, oh my goodness, um, we're so disconnected from each other, you know, from each other's, you know, pain and suffering and also joy because we don't even know our own. And just, I just, I just wanted to share that. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to see that um, with that level of investigation. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that, Alyssa. Yes. I mean, what comes to mind is uh, a bunch of things. I'm not going to go on much about it, but the kind of uh, awe, that 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 happiness, that and it's and your your whole the overall. Uh, uh, progression of your experience is is kind of a a, uh, a proof in the pudding, so to say, <laughs> of the Buddha saying we're happy when we're mindful. That's what brings happiness. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for that because I did remember that I felt joy. I was like, oh, that there's, there's just joy arising, just that seeing my experience. Yes. Yeah. So thank you for that reminder. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yep. So did you, Jackie, are you connected now? I am. I'm on a new device, an iPad, so new experience. Yeah. Um, first of all, Marcia, thank you for these eight weeks. Um, I wanted to share this because I thought possibly others may have the same experience, that by the intention of the retreat being on the uh, seven factors of awakening. I have discovered that uh, what seems to be predominant, overriding, present, are the factors of awakening just, you know, every day. Good. And uh, so that intention has been set and has become the main focus. So I, I, I thought that I would mention that uh, because it's 
a thousandfold of gratitude because you've you've uh, provided that opportunity. And so I just wanted to raise it because I thought it may resonate with others in the Sangha. Okay. I've had the same experience, Jackie, since we because I've decided to do this and now I'm we're we're sharing it, I'm offering it and we're sharing it, and I'm having a similar experience through the week. It's marvelous. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. I think Yankwe, you were next, were you? Or is that correct, Kit? Uh, yes, if you if you have something, Yankwe. You had her, her little hand on there, but it's gone. <laughs> Okay, I could ask something. Um, now I have two questions based on hearing what other people have said. Um, so let's see if I can remember the, the latest one is how, how um, I'm curious about where the factors of awakening fit into this progression of practice. Um, you know, Sita, Samadhi, Pania. Um, just curious about that. Maybe infuses all three or, or is, Oh, like in the establishment of mindfulness, it feels like the last, the last, the fourth one is where we, we intentionally practice that. And so, so that's one question. And then the other one is about meaning making. And I love your, um, appreciate your comment reminder to experience without commenting. Mm -hmm. um, but I know I can get very spacey and have a diffused awareness when I don't. When I, when I don't, when I don't name what's recognize what's happening, that there's also a place for recognizing and commenting are not the same thing. I'm going to oh, if you could clarify that, because sometimes, yeah, if you could clarify that, then okay, you've um, got huge questions there. <laughs> <laughs> well, next week that's okay too. See which one you think is more important for, for practice this week. Yeah, recognizing and commenting are not the same thing. So if we recognize what's occurring clearly, intimately, intimately. oh, there's something repeating there. Yeah, I'm just muting people. What is that? Go ahead, try again. We're muting a few people. So intimately uh, connecting, directly and intimately connecting with what is happening. Even if you're, if you're getting spaced out, a kind of diffuse awareness, as you called it, you're getting spaced out. And you recognize that. What is that experience? How is that? Then you're no longer spaced out. You're connected to what is occurring, but not commenting on it, not judging it, not analyzing it, not trying to make something out of it, but just this is how it is. This is how it, the body's reflecting it. This is how the quality of the mind, the quality of the heart mind, that's connection. That's mindful investigative presence without commentary if you start making up stuff about it fabricating stuff about it analyzing it then you're commenting it's what about having what about having a word or two diffuseness is happening right now is is that is that okay that just diffuse you can name it yes i mean that's a in the in the mahasi tradition naming it is a is a big part, at least at the beginning of practice, or for usually for some years, quite a few years of practice, you name it, diffuse mind, angry mind, commenting mind, <laughs> greedy mind, 
pressure, heat, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You name it, but you're not elaborating on it. You're naming what is being directly experienced. That's not commentary, not considered commentary. Does that make sense? Hopefully it's um, Yes, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Okay, the other question, I, I'm not gonna, it's more philosophical and I don't wanna go, it's not exactly philosophical, it's pretty practical, but uh, the seven factors of awakening, or the seven uh, capacities of awakening or factors that lead to awakening infuse all of our practice. It's all of our practice. It's not separate from, it's integrated and diffuses into all of our practice. That's all I want to say about that at this point. But there's no, uh, it, yeah, it's just in everything, potentially, as we develop more and more. Mm -hmm. So we still have a couple minutes. Was there somebody else? Ravi. Ravi, where are you, Ravi? I have to find hello. you. Speak up so I can find you. Hello, 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 hello. Hello, Marcia. Hello, Chris. Thank you both for, for, for the, the wonderful work that connects us in this way. Mm -hmm. um, I was really inspired by um, things that have been shared in this discussion. And so I wanted to just add my direct experience, uh, help me remember it a little bit more, but... Um, something clicked into place when when you in your introduction i believe marcia you said that investigating it frees up energy if i heard that correctly and so so then when we were sitting and you were guiding us near the beginning i felt um my orientation if you will shift from a, I don't want the commentary, I don't want meaning to things that I don't want to mm -hmm. things that, oh, I just want to investigate this for what it is, what is here now, what is this showing me? And it was almost like I felt like some, like a, like a musical instrument coming into tune from not being in tune to in tune and, and I felt like, like I was wearing like some heavy cumbersome coat that I hadn't been aware of. And that coat just sort of evaporated into energy. And I felt like all of my, um, th the way I was sitting in this chair, it, it felt like all my skin was removed or something. And I was much more intimately connected in this chair and just the just sort of this this very pleasant very pleasant I kept saying a feeling of sitting in this chair shone forth and mm -hmm. so as I sort of uh, as I began to positively investigate that I really experienced a, an, an immediate like a, a a rush of energy that welled up and then just sort of kept moving and, and dissipated out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So, so there's that. <laughs> uh huh. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Our, our practice, uh, 
opens up the energy, opens up the, the, the fluidity, the flow, the, the natural uh, uh, movement of energy, body, heart, mind, uh, over time. And, and then there are spurts of it as you just experienced today, uh, where it's open and you're aware of it and you're uh, experiencing it directly. The, the, one of the things with practice is to not get attached to that. It's very, it, because it, it can be quite pleasant. Sometimes it scares some people, some people it brings up fear. So it's not always pleasant for everybody. But when it's very pleasant, for instance, as you described, to not uh, get attached to it, get identified with it, mm -hmm. it, it uh, identified in the attached way, this is mine, this is me, uh, and, and try to make it stay and keep it and get it again and all that. It's, it's, a, it's a phenomena, it's an experience, it arises and passes. And it can be pleasant or unpleasant. It is energizing. In your experience today, it was very energizing, Appreci appreciating that, uh, allowing it, appreciating it, recognizing it, and, and keep going, just keep going. So thanks for that. Thanks for sharing that. I guess I'd, let me be full disclosure. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was gulp. Like, okay, it, 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 the the energy felt allowed her to pass through, and then I think I nodded off to sleep for a moment or two afterwards. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. To that, it was really a, a a very dramatic wave, and then that passed as well. And I sort of feel back to equilibrium now. Uh -huh. Now, but I I the pendulum swung, yeah. and. It, interesting to watch it swing and it's actually good for me to admit that I feel like there were some times that I really wasn't completely mindful you just checked out a little bit is what you did maybe I checked out a, a lot of it but fortunately it's recorded so I'll be able to go back that's just know it just know it that's all you went to sleep that's okay just without judgment can you can you notice these occurrences without judgment and if there's judgment Notice that there is absolutely nothing in the whole breadth of our experience that is not worthy of mindful attention. So we'll end with that. Yes, it is time to stop for today. Thank you all very, very much. It's a pleasure. I look forward, I look forward to it and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Um, that's about it. Have a good practice week. Mindfulness of all the different aspects of mindfulness with in, an added uh, oomph of investigation. And we'll go on uh, next week with the factors, uh, the capacities of awakening. Thank you, Marcia. Thank you, Marcia. I'm posting... I'm just posting a message in the chat from one of you who would like to connect. So you can see okay. that in the chat. All right. I'll take a look after we all, after everybody click, clicks out. Yeah. Take care of yourselves, please.
take very good care of yourselves this week. Bye-bye. Okay, let's see what's in the chat here. Oh, it's just Dami wanted somebody to, you know, she wanted to connect with somebody from Taos, so that's all. Moving to Taos, would like to meet in person with someone from the Taos Sangha on Monday, October 18th. That's tomorrow. Tomorrow. Well, we don't know, nobody knows that except me. Well, if anybody looked at the chat, they could see it. I see. She asked me to post it, so I just did. It was easier to post it than tell her I can't do it for some reason. So, okay. all right. I know it's questionable, but anyway, right. she wanted to post it to everybody, but I, I told her no. The chat's turned off to everybody. But anyway, well, she's here in Taos for yes. I don't know a while. I, I know we talked about that in the beginning, so I don't think anybody saw it. So she'll be frustrated, but too bad. <laughs> Moving here, it'll, it'll right. It'll sort out later, right? Thank you, Chris, very much. This oh, you're welcome. That worked. Yeah. Worked a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. So good. That's All right. Nice. Well, I won't see you next week. Yeah. No, I'm off next week. Thank you. Thanks to Carol for covering. Yeah. This little uh, Buddha face right there. Huh? That Buddha face right yeah, there. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Carol. Uh, Carol. Oh, Carol did that. That's that. Works. And then I put the characters on top of it that I've used oh. one of my lamps, my clay pieces. That's beautiful. These characters, but I thought it was a beautiful drawing of the Buddha. Yes, so. it is. And the flower's nice too. You've got nice things back flower, there. This flower is a card. It's I've been card. seeing those cards that open up in 3D. They're quite something. You sent me a card that was from that. And Good. then hand, the Buddha hand, that also was from a card that Jer another card that Jeremy sent me because we do practice meetings and he yeah. sent Donna and there's always, not always, but often sends me these amazing cards. Oh, great. And then that little heart, it's metal actually, that came from Edla at some point. Oh, oh great. Yeah. That's nice. Mm -hmm. It is nice. All right, well, have a good couple weeks. Yeah, you too. Hope so. Yeah, we'll see. So, yeah. Are you going to be in retreat? Mid-November. Oh, not next couple weeks. Next, no, next week is just another meeting, and then that I have to go to, and then um, the week after. Yeah, the last two weeks. The reason I can't be here is a retreat that goes Sunday to Sunday. It's our first opening live retreat, so we'll see. Mm -hmm. Hope that goes well. Yeah. So Annie's going to come pretty soon, huh? Very soon, yeah. And November 2, I think her retreat starts on November 2nd. Yeah. And her partner, uh, Steve, is going to be our cook. That's great. That's a good idea. Yeah. They were so happy to come together. To do oh, that's a wonderful idea. Yes. Perfect. I stay at my house uh, the night before. Yeah. Just for a visit. And then and then the la after the retreat finishes, they'll come to my house again. That <laughs> stay the night and then leave the next morning so uh, yeah it'll be great to see them and i hope you know so far i mean we'll see how it goes the first in-person retreat 
Well, give Annie my love. I haven't seen her for a long time. I miss her. I haven't seen her for a long time either. Yeah. 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 We've got so many restrictions, Chris, for this. I mean, so many uh, yeah. parameters and guidelines for this in-person retreat, but everybody's agreed to it all. So yeah, we're doing the same thing. Yeah. I hope it works. Hope so. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. It's beautiful. Beautiful morning. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.